Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Well, I trust you had a great weekend. I was actually over in uh, Omaru for a function at my old school, Waitaki Boys High School. I compared a function there whereby seven old boys were inducted into the school's Sports Hall of Fame. There were three ex-All Blacks, a Test cricketer, a former Governor-General who also played cricket for New Zealand, a bowls champion, and one of the country's top softball pitchers. But what intrigued me most about the weekend was the new school haka. Now, when I was at school over 50 years ago, the school haka was essentially an amended version of the famous kamati haka with a few special Waitaki lines dropped in. But as we know, kamati was a haka of Tarapraha, the North Island chief who came south, raping and pillaging and generally creating havoc among Naitahu. And Naitahu is the local iwi around Omaru. Hence, Kamati is no longer appropriate. So the school approached another old boy, David Higgins, the upoko, or leader of the Moiraki Marae uh, south of Omaru and part of Naitahu, to help write a new and more appropriate school haka, which reflects the water flowing from Aoraki Mount Cook to form the Waitaki River, after which the school is named, of course. The 2023 Waitaki Boys High School prefects performed the haka before the function started on Saturday night, And that was seriously impressive. And then they acted as waiters for the night. It was a great weekend, remembering and honouring the past. I guess the only downside to the three days that I spent in the town was the narrow loss in the big inter-school rugby rivalry on Friday afternoon. St Kevin's won 32-28. Oh well... As always, next year, and maybe those three ex-All Blacks, Alistair Soper, Jeff Matheson and Bruce Hunter, will inspire the next generation of First 15 players at uh, Waitaki Boys. It was good fun. Well, our friend Thomas Cranmer, the lawyer and blogger, has uncovered some quite remarkable statistics about gang numbers in recent days. Now, these are all replies, or from replies, by government ministers to written questions from opposition MPs. As of April this year, there were 8,875 people on the national gang list. That's up from 4,915 six years ago, just before Labour became the government. That's an increase, let me uh, repeat, of a mere 80%. Extraordinary, isn't it? Of those 8,875 gang members, 92% have a criminal conviction and the average number of convictions per gang member is 21. There are 7,863 males currently in prison. Of them, 3,102 are on the National Gang Register. That's 39%. A further 662 gang members are on electronic tagging. So a major part of our prison system is dealing with the gangs. And if you want to know why police can't attend to your little neighbourhood burglary or arrest a thief that you've tackled and pinned down after catching him in the act, uh, consider this. In the year to the 25th of May, during Operation Cobalt, which is a major gang operation, there were 49,000 
49,000 infringement notices or summons to gang members, 1,800 searches with or without a warrant, 38,000 charges laid, and just under 400 firearms seized. That's an extraordinary amount of time taken up dealing with gang matters by police. We have police and correction services understaffed and under pressure. Gee, imagine how much more efficient they would be if there were no gangs. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, in recent years in this country, a method of refuting arguments has become way too often. It is not to counter the actual argument, but to generally dismiss the opponent in a disparaging way, as to suggest they can't possibly know what they're talking about. Hence, the latest additions to the New Zealand cliché vocabulary, racist, dog-whistling, and misinformation, with its first cousin, disinformation. Yet when I read or hear those words, I always think the person saying that has already lost the argument. Hence the extraordinary story on Stuff yesterday about Tross Publishing. Now, this is a small Wellington company that puts out books which challenge government and society narrative on a matter of issues, particularly around race relations and the Treaty of Waitangi. That's just fine. It's what you're allowed to do in a democracy, present an alternative viewpoint. But Tross, which is uh, pretty much a one-man band run by a guy called John McLean, has been trying to get some of its books about New Zealand history into school libraries. What could be so wrong with that? It's another source for students to reference, uh, more ideas for them to think about as they study New Zealand history. But that is not good enough for some. Historian Vincent O'Malley, who was often the go-to guy when someone challenges uh, the current government narrative around the Treaty of Waitangi in Maori history. So O'Malley just calls the Tross publications racist propaganda. That's it. Racist propaganda. One of the books is called Hoani's Last Stand by a guy called Pierre Seed. It challenges the story about the incident at uh, Rangiofia in uh, Waikato in 1864. The official story is that women and children were burnt to death in a church by General Cameron's British troops. But the book claims that did not happen and that there were only a small number of casualties on the day and that women and children were not burnt to death inside the church. The pushback against Tross, of course, is because it tells a different story to the one that will be taught as part of the new history curriculum at school. But if there's evidence of the Tross narrative being true, why is there pushback against it and abuse of it? It's not because... It is the real truth, is it? Just asking. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Now, there is a quite staggering story in Britain at the moment. Nigel Farage, who was the leader of the Brexit movement and has been a controversial figure in that country ever since, is having his bank accounts closed down. Yep, you heard that right. His bank, and so far the actual bank hasn't been publicly identified, the bank is closing his accounts with no proper explanation being given. What's even worse 
is that what the bank is doing is legal. In Britain, you don't have a right to operate a bank account. In New Zealand, extraordinarily, you don't either. Now, Farage is quite a wealthy guy. He used to work in the finance industry. He's now a TV presenter. In fact, only last week, viewers voted him the best TV news presenter in the UK. He says he has a decent-sized balance in his business account, but as he also points out, you can't live properly without a bank account. The bank's only official explanation is that it is a commercial decision to close his bank accounts, which is bollocks, because if you have a credit balance, you're not in danger of falling behind on loan repayments. Farage has said publicly that he thinks his bank has closed his account after 43 years as a customer, since he was 16 years of age. They think that they've closed his account because of his pro-Brexit stance, which is still a major issue seven years after the British public removed or voted to remove themselves from Europe. But why they did it is not the point. It's that the bank has done it there, and what's more, a bank could do it here as well. Now, the right of banks to refuse business is for reasons we can all understand. The banks don't want the proceeds of crime deposited in their institution. But to close a man's accounts, and those of some of his family as well, because of his political views, is a very dangerous step on a very slippery slope. And we must keep an eye out for similar activity in this country. Well, despite the Three Waters legislation being passed last year, it's now back in the House in the form of amendments after the government increased the number of water services entities, or WSEs, from four to ten. You might have kept up with that. But before that happens, they've already appointed three chief executives to these WSEs, and the costs associated with these appointments is frankly staggering. Now, let me say first up, recruitment companies normally charge between 15 and 20% of the first year's salary uh, as their fee for finding the right man or woman for the job. But in this case, the CEOs of Watercare in Auckland and Wellington Water have been reappointed as CEOs of water services entities. The third man to get a job at the moment is uh, Vaughan Payne. He was part of the debacle that is Teipukinga, you know, the, the merged polytechnics. He was on a salary there of between 250 and 350 grand a year. But he took a redundancy payment when he was moved on from that job. Now he's off to a job at Water Services Entity B, based out of Hamilton, which will pay, like the other two chief executives appointed so far, it will pay between $602,000 and $815,000 a year. And because of these salaries, the recruiting company is being paid over half a million dollars in fees for the three appointments. Yet two of the appointments were essentially people staying in the same job and the recruitment company clipping the ticket for not doing much at all. What's worse is that with the restructuring of the entities, these jobs are going to decrease in size, but I can guarantee the salaries most certainly won't. And there's another seven chief executive appointments to be made. I mean, wastage and lack of value for money in the public service just knows no bounds under this government, does it? Hush. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.
You know, sometimes I really want to scream, and today is one of those days. You see, the Overseas Investment Office has approved another four farms, more than 2,000 hectares, to overseas owners to be planted in bloody pine trees for carbon farming. I mean, when is this madness going to stop? The farms are in Northland, Gisborne, South Canterbury and Otago. They've all passed the OIO so-called Special Forestry Test. And the minister responsible, Pini Henare, had the temerity to say last month the government was tightening up the rules on farm-to-forestry conversions. Sounds like it? (laughs) Not. And then last year, the government had apparently changed the rules, making it harder for foreign investors to purchase New Zealand farmland for conversion because they must now meet the stricter benefit to New Zealand test. You know, I cannot see any upside for a New Zealand food-producing farm being taken out of the system to grow something which can't be used for 30 years if it's actually harvested at all. And in the meantime, the overseas owners collect a whole raft of carbon credits which they can spend overseas. The new rules, frankly, cannot be very strict if another four farms pass the test just like that. Frankly, these sales should be banned outright. Enough communities have been wrecked already. We don't need any more overseas forest owners exporting their carbon credits from New Zealand. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, a little bit of uh, correspondence which has come into inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text to 2057. Uh, This is from Jill in relation to my comments last week on some teenagers, girls at uh, mainly girls' high schools, not at co-ed schools, but girls at girls' high schools, uh, identifying as cats and being allowed to by the teachers. Uh, It certainly is happening in Britain. Uh, Jill writes, yes, Peter is well informed on student furries. It seems he might be right. I am told it is happening here too by friends who are teachers. Quite extraordinary. Uh, This from Kathy regarding my interview on Friday with uh, Casey Costello. Uh, And we talked about Julian Batchelor and his Stop Go co-governance tour, which is going on around the country. Uh, I have met uh, with Julian Batchelor and attended one of his earlier meetings in Dargaville, where a Maori activist tried to shut him down. He went on to get the same treatment in other meetings too. So police advised him to make his meetings private to stop the protesters coming in. Thank you, Cathy. That seems to be the way that things happen at the moment. Uh, Bruce has written just a simple line, more craziness, when will it stop? And he sent me a link uh, to some comment on Michael Johnson's story about the proposed science curriculum. Michael Johnson uh, being a research fellow at the New Zealand Initiative. Bruce, I've got something to say say on that very subject uh, in the not-too-distant future here on RCR. Uh, Ree Peter Williams, this is from Mary. Ree Peter Williams talking uh, with the guy renting the building to Julian Batchelor in Wanaka for the uh, uh, Stop Co-Governance meetings. The question to the community chair should be, are you receiving payment from any government body to stop speech about anything the government disagrees with? Uh, That community chair needs to stand down. He is not representing the community Just a faction of the government, says Mary. Thank you for that. You're referring to Simon Telfer, the chair of the Wanaka Community Board, 
who uh, threatened and bullied Mrs. David Reed, the uh, owners of the facility that was used for the meeting in Wanaka last week on the Stop Co-Governance Tour. Yes, I thought that Simon Telfer's behaviour in that respect was, frankly, disgusting. He has been spoken to by the Mayor of Queenstown Lakes. Whether or not it's going to make any difference to his attitude, I doubt it. But I think he should absolutely be outed for making abusive phone calls to his constituents. A friend of mine sends out a weekly email on a Monday to a mailing list of various acquaintances. He calls it the Monday Message. And it's usually a pithy quote from a well-known person. Today's one was very relevant in these times. It was a quote from Bruce Plested, the founder of the huge transport and logistics company Mainframe. In the company's uh, annual report, latest annual report, Bruce Plested has said, quote, education is the only means by which we can remain a first world country. Frankly, who could disagree with that? Well, it seems the Ministry of Education don't think like that anymore. The New Zealand Initiative has recently highlighted their refreshed science curriculum, which is in draft form at the moment, out for consultation and feedback. According to the initiative, central concepts in physics are just absent from this curriculum. There is no mention of gravity, electromagnetism, thermodynamics, mass or motion. In chemistry, there is nothing about atomic structure, the periodic table, compounds, or molecular bonding. Now, as someone who was hopeless at science in my school days, even I know they are quite basic topics to cover in a school science curriculum. So what is to be taught then? Well, science from year one to year 13 is to be taught through just four contexts. Yes, four contexts. Climate change, biodiversity, the food, energy, water, nexus, and infectious diseases. The curriculum has a purpose statement, and this is really woolly stuff. Part of the purpose statement is to bring knowledge from the past for acting now and in the immediate future. As the initiative points out, the word experiment is not mentioned at any part of this draft curriculum. Now, apparently, this is still a draft document requiring feedback, one would hope the feedback and pushback against it is strong. I mean, how can you teach science without instruction in the basics of the physical sciences? This is the country, remember, that produced Ernest Rutherford. Does a curriculum like this give you any hope that we can produce more people like him? You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR. Reality Check Radio. This has been the Peter Williams Afternoon Show here on Reality Check Radio for this Monday. If you'd like to get in touch, uh, my address is inbox at realitycheck.radio. You can text me at 2057. I look forward to talking with you again on Wednesday afternoon. Enjoy your evening. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts, 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Our text machine is now live. 
send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. 